Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson for this morning is going to be based on God's word to and through his prophet, Prophet Isaiah, our Old Testament lesson comes from Isaiah chapter 40. We will read it now, and our sermon will spend the rest of the time meditating on these words. Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of your Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine for a moment a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, a brother, a sister, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They go to the store. And that's maybe hard to imagine. So let's say they go online. How about that? This person goes online and they go on with one thing in mind. This is a man or a woman on a mission. Find the perfect gift. They're looking to find the perfect gift for their loved ones. Is it possible? Is it possible for someone to find a perfect gift? I hate to disappoint, but I don't think it is. I mean, we could go with the whole, you know, life's not perfect thing, but also you know that idealistically, we can look for something someone will love and appreciate and use, but the perfect gift probably doesn't exist. Imagine the scenario, though, someone someone purchases what they believe to be 
the perfect gift. And they take it to their loved one. They present the present to them, and they open it, and with joy and gratitude, they, they unbox it or, or take it out of its packaging. And they're happy. They're thankful. But you can kind of tell there's some hesitation. And so you don't want to ask, but finally you do. You, you say, what is it? You can tell they, they want to say something, but they're not saying it. They say, well, thank you. I, I appreciate this. I, in fact, I love it so much, but I bought this for myself as a gift. Here's the next question. Is, is buying a present, giving a present for yourself actually a, a thing that you can do? I mean, we say it all the time, right? Like, oh, I, I bought this present for myself. I saw a bunch of moms smile at me just now that, that maybe that happens. But really, you, you might be treating yourself. You might be buying something you always wanted. But central to the idea of gift giving, well, is giving and receiving. It's not merely buying for yourself. So here's my opinion, that the perfect gift isn't out there and you can't really gift yourself. I believe that to be true, but you want to know what we're going to do this morning? We're going to set that aside. We're going to reject that whole idea because I'm here to tell you that there is a gift that is perfect. There is a gift that is absolutely perfect in every single way, and it gets even better. You can gift this thing to yourself. You already know what it is. Repentance. Yes, repentance. Repent. And you say, wait a second. That doesn't seem like a great gift. What's so good about that? Well, this morning we're going to explore the reality and the centrality of God's gift of repentance. We're in the season of Advent, the second week of that, and we're exploring how do we prepare for Christ's coming? Because the Christ who is coming is the king. He is the king who, yes, laid aside his crown and came as a baby in Bethlehem, but he suffered, dies, rose again, and ascended out high, seated at the right hand of God. He's back wearing that crown, and he will come again in all of his glory. So the question you and I have to wrestle with during the season of Advent how do you prepare? How do you prepare for that king? It's not carelessly. This is not a roll and go kind of thing to see the king. You just kind of get out of bed and say, hey, what's happening, Jesus king? How are you going to prepare for him? What scripture proclaims again and again in one word, the way to prepare for the king is to repent. It is to take in your hands the sins that we commit our sinful nature that we inherit, confess it before our God, lay it before our feet, because he is a king who is coming, who is coming with gifts, the gift of forgiveness. And if we refuse to let go of our sinfulness, if we hold on to our pride, how can we receive the forgiveness that he's come to bring? We can't. We're talking about the centrality, the essential need, the importance of forgiveness in our life. But before we get into the centrality of repentance, can we talk about the reality 
of repentance? Because when you hear me talk about repentance and that this whole Sunday, this whole sermon is going to be about repentance, comes to mind. What do you start feeling in your hearts? For most of us, it's not good feelings. You know, when we hear that we need to repent or the preacher says a message of repentance, naturally, most of us bristle against that. I mean, after all, the fact that we're, we're talking about very seriously admitting your faults, sharing your character flaws, admitting your sinfulness. That doesn't sound like a pleasurable experience to anyone, does it? No, no, no. Having to do that out loud so maybe others can hear it or, or a, a religious person can hear it. Now, that, that induces, even just thinking about it, feelings of guilt and shame. Thinking about even admitting that to ourselves before God, it's difficult. You know, maybe, maybe it's because of past experiences, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's because of the stereotype. What do you think when you hear, repent? Repent. You need to repent. You know, maybe it's the old school preacher, you know, you know banging on the pulpit, repent. Maybe it's the self-proclaimed prophet standing on a street corner with a megaphone saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven's near. But for most of us, we don't think about good things when we hear about repentance. So here's the question. Do you need to repent about your thoughts regarding repentance? Here's the way scripture talks about repentance, the reality of repentance. Mark's gospel begins in this way. It says, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it was written in the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to get to Isaiah in a second. But it says this, this is the beginning of good news. Here's what happens. John came. John the Baptist came, appearing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance. That's his message, that you need to repent. He's saying, wow. I never thought that the beginning of good news was repentance. But then you read on and you say, this is a repentance for what? It's for your good. Baptism, the reality of repentance, excuse me, is good news because it is for you the forgiveness of all of your sins. Look, we might have, have feelings of negativity when we think about repentance. But if anybody tries to use repentance to coerce you, to control you, maybe to cancel you, that is a use or a misuse or abuse of God's gift of repentance. What's repentance for? Yes, it is to admit that we have guilt. It is to admit that we live in shame before a holy God because we do things that are unholy. But that is not where your God wants you to stay. That is not the domain of repentance. It's good news because it is for the forgiveness of sins. And what's more, this is just the beginning. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 says this, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for your God. 
This is the message of repentance for Isaiah, for the prophecy of John the Baptist, and really for all of you, for all of you who proclaim God's word, this is what it's about. It's about preparing a way for God to come to you. And what needs to happen? We gotta get straight. We gotta get straight some crookedness and some brokenness in our life. And why? Well, it's because he's coming with news. The verse just prior to this, comfort. Comfort, my people, says the Lord your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Repentance, the reality of repentance is that it's good news Because as we go before God, as we prepare for his coming and admit there's crookedness, there's brokenness in our hearts, in our lives, because of sin, he comes to bring this. Comfort. Comfort. For all the times where you had your self-salvation projects, where, where you acted as though you could work out your salvation on your own, where you acted as though you, you didn't need a God, stop it. Stop that hard service. Repent. Your sins, they're forgiven. For all of those times where you experience that panic, that panic because you know you're caught, even if no one else saw it, you know it, you were wrong. Those moments, stop. Stop. Stop being hard on yourself, serving yourself with hardness. No, no, no. Your sins are paid for. Comfort. Comfort my people. That's what your God says. And look what else it says. It says, you have received from the Lord's hand, from his hands, double for all your sins. What does that mean? That means this. Picture this. As you come before God with what? What do you have to offer him but sin stories, a nature that's broken, and we give it to God, you know what he does? Double good. Not only does he take it away, does he wretch away from our hands all of our sin and shame and guilt, but he doesn't leave us empty-handed. No, he places into it a message of comfort for you, that you are mine and I am yours and I have taken all your sins away. That's double. That's double for all your sins. That's the reality of repentance and and what repentance brings. So when we talk about the centrality of repentance now, the, the need, the absolute need for it, we read Peter's letter just a moment ago, and he, he begins by, by asking a really probing question in it. He says, since the end of the world's coming, since God's coming back, and when he does, he's going to destroy everything in this world, and everything in this world will be laid bare, and everything that's bad will melt away. He says, you, kind of people ought you to be, how should you act? He answers it right away. says, you ought to live a holy life. That means you ought to live a life, what does holy mean? 
means separate from sin. It means you ought to live a life that is completely separate from any moral brokenness for anything that is wrong. We know we're not so squeaky clean, are we? He says, additionally, you ought to live a godly life. What does godly mean? Like God. You ought to live like him. That means completely kind and merciful and loving to everybody. That's how you ought to live. And if anything but our own experiences, the past 24 hours show us, well, you know, you've been anything but godly. So what's left? Well, we have a need. We have a very high and important need. We we have to repent of these things, this ungodliness, this unholiness. This is what we're talking about by the centrality of repentance. And this isn't just John the Baptist. This isn't just some Christian denomination. This isn't just Isaiah in the Old Testament talking about that this is the most important thing in the life of the Christian. No, this is Jesus' entire ministry, his entire message. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus, after he was baptized, after he came back from dueling it out with Satan, he began to preach. And what did he say? His message was this, repent. Repent, for the kingdom has come near. When Martin Luther, 500 years ago, would comment on this verse in the first of his 95 theses, he said, what our, what our Savior Jesus was talking about is that repentance ought to be the entirety of the Christian life. This is what we mean about the centrality of repentance. It's the thing that we do. So how does this look? How does this look in our lives? Well, here's the picture that Scripture gives. Just a moment ago, we read Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, a voice of one calling in the desert. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for God. We're preparing a way for him to come. And then Isaiah launches into an even, even further, more vivid picture of how this looks. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. What's Isaiah talking about here? What's the picture he's looking to provoke in your mind? Well, the king's coming. And when a king comes back in Isaiah's day, that was a special event. Again, this wasn't something that you just rolled out of bed for. No, not even the king would do that. The king would prepare to come. He would prepare by sending out into all corners of his kingdom messengers that went ahead, let people know that he's coming, and central, of greatest importance to the people who were preparing to meet the king, they'd have to get busy. You know, a king couldn't come in those days unless you got the roads and the fields ready. There wasn't roads just everywhere. And so here's what we did. We get busy raising up the low places. The high hills, the mountains, they need to be flattened. Places that were rough, rugged, make them plain. Otherwise, the king can't come. Not because he didn't want to, not because he didn't love his people, but because he physically couldn't. And spiritually, it's true for us. Your God comes 
to you with comfort, with double for all of your sins, your sins forgiven. But spiritually, how can he come if the sin that separates us is building a wall to keep him out? So what do we do? We do the same. All the low places in your life, all all of the, the shallow thoughts that you've had, we fill them in. We fill them in by repenting them before our God. All, all of those mountains in your life, all of those high places, all the times where you thought, <laughs> I really have no need for this repentance or this God or this religion. Knock it down. All of the rough parts, the, the rocky places of your character, Make it obvious, make it plain to God so that he can come. This is repentance. First John tells us this, that if we do not repent, we claim that we don't need to, we don't have sin, you're lying to ourselves. You're giving your gift of yourself of one of deception. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, but If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and we will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Friends, you are understanding the the reality of what repentance is and the centrality of it, the absolute essential need that it has in our lives. We need to repent to him because we have places in our lives that are high or low or just plain rocky and hard to get to. And when he repents, when we repent, we see who comes. This this is what people saw as they saw their king comes. Friends, see your king come. The sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Do you see? Your king's coming, and he is a king that comes with all power, but all gentleness. He is your king, but also your good shepherd, who holds you close to his heart to fill you with all of his good gifts. None higher than this. The forgiveness of sins that come from repentance. It's a perfect gift, It's one that you can give yourself, kind of, kind of. Why do I I say this? Well, it's because it's something that you can do because God's called you to do it. We read from 2 Peter, we'll quote it again, because the thought is certainly one to keep with us. He said, don't forget this one thing, don't forget it. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You, you look out at the world, and you might wonder, why is God doing things the way he's doing? You might look into your own life and think to yourself, why God? Why are you not fulfilling your promises to me? I know them. We've read them. 
He's not slow in keeping his promise, as you might think about slowness. No, right now what God's doing is opening up his heart to you. He's showing you his mind, his will, his purpose. What is it? He wants you. He wants all people to repent. That's God's will. That's God's will for you during this Advent season. That's God's will for you throughout the entirety of your life. It's a gift he's given you to be able to do. That you know the reality of repentance. That did you know it's not this terrifying thing because what's on the other side of it is the forgiveness of sins. You have a God who's a good shepherd who's given you his son. And what's more, he's given you his spirit so that you can do this thing that so many people struggle with. It's repentance. Philippians 2 verse 12 talks about what what to do as we await the Lord's coming. The apostle Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How How do you work out preparing for the Lord? Doing so with fear respect, and a little trepidation? Well, it's knowing this, that it is God who works in you. Let's put these two truths together, that God's will for you is to repent, that, oh, by the way, God also was working in you so that you can do the one thing he wants you to do, and that's repent. So what are you doing this holiday season? What's what's left on your shopping list? Well, I have the perfect gift for you. Actually, It's God's gracious gift to you. It's called repentance. Admit anything and everything going on in your life that you can sit down and know for a fact that all the peacelessness that is caused by you or experienced because of what others have done, you can confess that to God knowing you, you have peace with him. Second Peter, so then, dear friends, since you are now looking forward to this, Christ coming again, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. But you say, wait a second, I'm I'm not spotless. I, I have blame. Well, guess what? There was a lamb who came who was perfect. The spotless lamb of God died so that you might be at peace with him. Repentance, you can give yourself the gift of peace. You can give yourself the gift of something that lasts. Think back to those perfect gifts you've given in the past. Do you even remember them? No, here's something that lasts. It's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that endures forever. It's a word that proclaims to you what? How about this for a gift to yourself? This Christmas, comfort. The gift of true comfort that lasts because your sins have been paid for. How do you think about repentance? Is the way you have thought about it something you need to repent of? How do you think about your God? How do you think about your identity in him? Here's a picture to ponder this Advent. He is your good shepherd. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers you in his arms. He carries you close to his heart. That is your God. May God bless you as you fully and wholly know the reality of repentance and the centrality of it in him. Amen.